welcome to Cisco Champion Radio Podcast. Uh, we're live here at uh, Cisco Live in Orlando, Florida, which kind of reminds me of you know, the, you know, times when families would come to Orlando and try and go to a theme park. Uh, kind of harkens back to a movie I saw with Chevy Chase, where you know he and his family drove across the country uh, to go to Wally World on a quest, uh, and oftentimes from from the back seat. You know, you often hear from the kids in the back seat like. IPv6, are we there yet? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today's discussion is about the sixth anniversary of World IPv6 launch, and I often get we often get asked that question. Uh, I'm here with Shannon McFarland, uh, with Ed Horley, with Tom Coffin, and Tim Martin, uh, and we're all here affiliated with IPv6 and uh, taught classes on the subject and been involved in the IPv6 community, and so I'm going to interview these fine gentlemen today and. We're going to talk about that, that and try and answer that question. IPv6, are we there yet? So, I think we have like to start with Shannon because he's he's suffered the longest and hardest in Cisco <laughs> with IPv6. Okay, well maybe he could take a stab at answering that question. Are we there yet? Um, we're we're still uh, lost in the middle of the highway somewhere in Kansas or something on our way there. No, I I think that um, you know you know there is no we're there yet. You know, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's an evolving thing, like any technology. It's uh, it uh, has a variety of adoption factors that uh, can be very mature in some sections, uh, routing, switching, security, that sort of thing. In other areas, it's way, way behind, right? So I don't, I don't think there is a we're there. Um, I think it's going to evolve, and uh, it like you know, IPv4. We're going to add more and more functionality on top of IPv6. So I don't think uh, there is a there. Uh, and in, as an endpoint okay. destination. Okay. But Shannon giving the consulting answer. It depends. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> if you don't like the family truckster, well, you know, if you don't like it now, why do you drive it? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah. So, are we there yet, Dad? Uh, <laughs> wow. I, wow, Dad. Yeah, That's nice. how did I get that? That's nice. So, um, I, th I actually think, so this is Ed Worley, by the way, for those that are just listening. Um, I think we're we're there in certain market segments, just like Shannon mentioned. I think in the mobile space, it's pretty remarkable, and it's especially in the United States, about how far V6 has really come. I mean, T-Mobile is pretty much a V6-only network. I mean, it's got 93% uh, adoption. I mean, I think the 7% is just the extra, you know, people with their old flip phones <laughs> still hanging out. Um, but I, I think in other markets, and especially the enterprise, the enterprise is, is a huge laggard in, in V6, and I think we all recognize that around the table. But but um, I'm pretty excited about how far the content providers, the cloud providers, and, and the mobile providers are coming in V6. And so I, I'm actually relatively bullish that we'll see some progress um, if the enterprise folks decide that to take it seriously and start moving. I think it'll be a good, a good thing for the industry overall, and for the internet. So that's my, my thoughts. Yeah, I think the industry is, this is Scott Hogue, uh, the industry has seen a lot of growth over the last six years, and it's kind of gone by un, unbeknownst to many folks. And Much like the Midwest does on the drive. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, that movie. Uh, so uh, I think it's happened kind of behind the scenes, and I think network engineers like airline pilots don't want to be in the, on the news. Uh, so the success of the dual protocol strategy is that it's allowed this to just take place organically and kind of behind the scenes. And you know, if you're a, a T-Mobile mobile user and you're going to Facebook, high, high probability you're going over IPv6 and you don't even realize it. And that's great. 
because I don't want to have to explain to my mom <laughs> how she uses, you know, IPv6 and what an address but, is. But Shannon's like willing to do that. Right. Hey, He's mom, please enter this hexadecimal address to get to Facebook. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 2001 D B <laughs> colon E D B D C E. No, honey, mom, is that e, case sensitive? <laughs> so, are we confirming that only the old farts use Facebook at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. think that is accurate. And speaking of age, Tom, I I recall that. Before the movie, we always had a cartoon. And to that reference, I think we made a wrong turn at Albuquerque. They're not. I don't think they're hearing you, Tim. Yeah. They have Tim? Do they? <laughs> we're, do, we're doing a double oh. check on Tim here. Yeah. yeah. To make sure you guys can all hear him. Okay. Um, so, um, Tom, you want to answer the take a stab at answering the question? Yeah, sure. There well, I, and just to follow on what Ed says, I mean, it's amazing. He, even here at Cisco Live, talking to some fellow network engineers and architects, and talking about IPv6 adoption, the levels yeah. of adoption in here, the U.S., for instance, and getting some uh, getting some surprising blank stares, like when you bring up the, the statistics around where adoption is at, related to what Ed talked about with the mobile providers. And, Seven out of ten handsets essentially being having IPv6. So it's like, hey, you know, the iPhone in your pocket, it's running IPv6. Did, were you aware of that? Well, no, I wasn't. If it's an iPhone on uh, T-Mobile, it's IPv6 only. Were you aware of that? No, I really wasn't. So it's pretty amazing. Or um, the uh, the other statistic that comes up, the uh, the fact that we're almost at 50 percent in terms of the traffic that hits Google over IPv6 here in the U.S. So these are statistics that when you then look at where enterprises are at, and depending on how you crunch the numbers, you can get the statistic that only one out of 7,000 desktops in the enterprise have IPv6 purposely enabled and managed, because as we all know, it's enabled by default and preferred by default, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's being managed within the enterprise. So sort of add all those statistics together, and, and there's this situation we're in with IPv6 where this level of adoption has occurred in the U.S. in particular and, and folks just aren't aware of it. They yeah. just sort of don't know about it. Yeah, right, let's, test, let's test Tim out real oh. quick. Well, you know, I, I'm going to say to you guys that we made a wrong turn in Albuquerque from that cartoon reference prior to the movie being started. And the wrong turn we made was we put way too much emphasis on address translation, as we all know. <laughs> My, my evil bane, Nat. Now, on the positive side of deployment, if any enterprise, we've seen adoption from the universities. They're, they're pretty gung-ho to get IPv6 deployed and to teach and educate. Where we're lagging that is a little bit of a concern for me is in the geography that invented the internet, right? If, if we look at where did the internet protocol come from, that was the U.S. federal government and the Department of Defense specifically would be great for them who are listening to us to turn it up and keep moving beyond their edge and into their user segments. And if for anything else, Tom, but to your point about it being enabled and not controlled or managed. Right. 
because yeah. as Ed is fond of saying, you've deployed IPv6, you've just deployed it poorly. <laughs> yes, without <laughs> the core. Absolutely, yeah, it's not <laughs> just about, okay, I've got V6 and there, here's some routing going on, but what is the quality of it? Yeah. Because I think that's, the, that's what I've seen you know, for years that I was supporting in the enterprise space is that a lot of people were, we've dual stacked it and some percentage of traffic is moving through these routers and switches and firewall interfaces, but it was not, even the quality experience all the way end to end that they had with, with IPv4. So then they did the bare minimum to get that implementation to say that we, we have checked this off, it is deployed. But then they had to retro a lot of that traffic out of there because they did not do a good seamless end to end implementation that yielded a high quality user experience. So then you've given a protocol a back black eye because you deployed poorly. And, and I think that is still something that I, I you know, run into customers that I've worked with years ago. And they're like, we deployed it, but man, we thought we were done at that point. And it's just been you know, one thing after another. So I so. find that fascinating. So if you asked them, the day you deployed before, did you think you were done? Like, would they say yes? I mean, probably not, no. right? They'd be like, oh no, we have to keep evolving the network, we have to keep yeah. developing what was going on, we yeah. have to support. Why would you think any differently with just the well, next version that, of the protocol? Absolutely, because I used to help people implement IPv4 environments in addition to what they were running with IPX, SPX and things, and I'm like, did you have a, you know, flag it's, a, it's an IPv4 <laughs> flag day that says, you know, we're done, we're never going to touch this protocol ever again, and um, that's not the case, yeah. but that there is an expectation of, of, of that in the IPv6 world because people believe, okay, we're going to do a product gap analysis on what supports V6 and what does not support V6, and they go through this entire project plan, and they treat it like it is, I am deploying a web server. When someone can hit the web server, we're going to call this thing done, and it is not that kind of adoption cycle. Yeah, yeah that's really important. I mean, so yeah, just look at Cisco Live here. Everyone here at the conference has dual protocol internet connectivity on the wireless network. And this is a wireless network for 50,000 people here at the conference. And it runs great. And people don't even know. Right. And they get high speed. And, and I mean, I know that the Cisco Live you know, deployment team and the NOC that builds this network is highly skilled and has great product and has you know, lots of probably automation tools and a lot of you know, resources. Well, this but, year, because Andrew didn't do it. No, but they I'm just put kidding. The, uh, <laughs> they put the network together in just a few days. So, I mean, IPv6 can't be that hard, right? It well, it, it certainly isn't. And, and I would love to tag back to what Shannon said with the end of development. We actually have seen the Internet Architecture Board come out and say that we are not going to develop the legacy protocol any further. That we should not enhance the legacy protocol, and that everything moving forward should be focused on IPv6. So I would submit we've, we've, we've kind of hit that tipping point from a, well, we won't deploy or develop this any further, now we got to focus our energy here in IPv6. Well, that's what the IAB says, but did they run that by the ITU? <laughs> well, indeed, we, we do find ourselves, even in, in our industry, a, a quagmire of politics. Well, the and, IEEE, and did they, what did they have to say about it? But, but did we try to solve some of the, because I find it interesting, Shannon, when you mentioned about structurally where things are at. We tried to put a lot of band-aids on top of mm -hmm. both V4, but then also to help people move from V4 to V6. So all the transition technologies, uh, everything that we did with happy eyeballs and trying to solve it in different locations, yeah. in yeah. different locations in the stack, yeah. right? So it's trying to solve it from the application layer, 
And then folks in the network layer were trying to solve it the network layer, and yeah. so we had end up with Teredo and six to four, a nice tap, and like every solution under the sun to try and solve it depending on which lens you had on mm -hmm. what the problem actually was. I feel like we're finally to the point where transition protocols really aren't needed in the same way that they were before. And right. I think Microsoft Absolutely. is indicative of this yep, with yep, the yep. current 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 creators update on Windows 10. Isotap, 64, and Terrator are all mm -hmm. turned off by default now. Yep, yep. Versus all the preaching I had to do in the past Absolutely. where I always said like, you have to go in and do all this PowerShell to turn all this stuff off. Yeah. And thankfully we don't have to do that anymore. So I think it's time for us as an industry to start having discussions around V6 native. Like V6 is the only protocol we're using. And there's some early folks who are doing some really interesting work in this arena. Facebook being one of them. What the, mm -hmm. the work that Paul Saab's doing over at Facebook's pretty remarkable in terms of saying V6 only data center is the way we need to do it with what T-Mobile's up to in terms of saying V6 only for the mobile, mobile side. At what point do you think that turns into a structural advantage for companies to say we don't have to deal with it. We can, we can use all the great technology we have today with with software-defined networking and overlay capabilities and deliver V4 as a service right. on top of our V6, which is really, I think, the direction that the industry needs to move overall. And I think, you know, for Cisco, what's the, is there any thought processes internally about how the position might play out long-term? you think that's a, really an arena that makes sense for customers to start evaluating? Because for me, that, I see that as, as the way forward, not necessarily you know, trying to yeah, continue to do Yeah, I mean, I, th one. I think we've been, we've, we've talked to customers for years about, okay, if you're in a greenfield environment where you have no band-aids applied in your V4 environment and it's a really easy, clean thing that you can do a V6-only solution, you've got a smaller set of applications, you've got a smaller set of services, smaller set of policy uh, you know, models that you've got to deal with mm -hmm. initially, and if, if that's going to work, that should be your go forward plan, but we find out that there's so few greenfield implementations in the enterprise. Right. I mean, there's, it's, it's like, it's a unicorn, you know, I mean, to have a really perfectly clean, brand new solution. Even a branch office that is a new branch office really isn't a greenfield because they've got a build team that are building the routers and switches and firewalls and mm -hmm. AD servers and everything else somewhere else and it's being shipped into it. So. It's really not even Greenfield, even though it's a new piece of real estate. So right. it's a beautiful opportunity for you to do a V6 native situation from a clean slate. The problem we have is they are really, really rare um, for those, those types of opportunities. But man, if we can get into the door and show people how you properly do a V6 only solution, um, and it, it's a absolutely the cleanest manifestation of where the rest of the organization needs to go, right? So is that, would that typically be a data center implementation then? Is that the most, pro like most yeah, probably? Yeah, because what, what, you know, typically the conversations I've ever had with customers around native is that we actually want them to pick the things that have the fewest components and actually the least number of variables from an application perspective, and that generally is not the data center, right? It's, it's, um, it's like a branch office is a perfect example where um, we have a smaller number of routers, which is firewalls, VPN devices, um, we can focus generally on, we know voice is going to be present there, so let's be, build a, a V6 only voice uh, network. Um, a smaller number of applications for sure, because applications a lot of times is what wrecks our whole plan for V6 native, uh, because they've got a cross breed of a lot of platforms and, and uh, especially not commercial off the shelf applications, but applications unique to, to their vertical that they've written in house that are not V6 native. Yeah. So we tend to try to do native implementations if we can, where there's a small number of variables involved. Um, it would make absolute 
sense to do it in a data center because if you're doing greenfield, a lot of times your greenfield is a data center. Yeah. Um, so it's a beautiful place to start, but it does have an enormous amount of variables and applications that you're going to have to do a very good job of making sure they're all V6. Um, and that, most of the time, just becomes overwhelming. Yeah. So Shannon, you make a good point about the branch. And we see it changing in branch architectures, yeah. moving to software-defined WAN, or IWAN, yeah. or... Yeah. Uh, so, is with direct internet access into the branch, is that an opportunity for enterprises to get dual protocol connectivity to some of their remote branches, where they don't have to plummet in across their traditional corporate MPLS WAN? Is that an, is that an option? Well, it certainly is, Scott. Uh, I think you, you, you see a, a variety of technologies, as you identified, that folks are using there. Finding the provider giving that service can sometimes be a challenge as well. And you know, I, that makes it tough when you have a branch strategy that crosses many different carrier domains to identify how you're going to get that last connectivity. I think that's probably the, the long pole in the tent, but with software defined, we should be able to overlay and, and eliminate some of those challenges. That, that local hop-off uh, would probably be the biggest thing that we'd have to overcome. Could, uh, could enterprises also leverage their wireless infrastructure to get IPv6 into the end user access networks without having to plummet clear across you know, the, the backbone? They just encapsulate and carry that back over a wireless LAN controller infrastructure, dump it out at their perimeter through their secure perimeter. Uh, and get IPv dual protocol connectivity into the hands of the end users more rapidly? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, there are a wide variety of design mechanisms that we can put in place. It's the variability of what, not only just the transport and the products are supporting, but it's also the operational model that you have to use to maintain it from that point forward. So we can actually do all of the fancy things that we would ever want to do to implement a nice, clean IPv6 native environment, but we find that once that thing goes live, the tool sets that we use to manage them or programmatically influence the policy in them, they're still hanging back in the data center that still need to talk to this branch um, or a WAN ops team, and all of that stuff is still V4, right? So they're making, they're still talking to SNMP. They're still wanting to pull NetFlow records over v, uh, you know, V4, and so, uh, you know, I think the answer to your question is yes, uh, but it's not just implementing the product and a protocol. There's a, all, you know, there's a whole lot of things that happen after that clean branch deployment has happened that probably doesn't support, you know, the, the, the native protocol itself. Yeah, so, so that brings up a really good point because on the operation side, I feel like there's a huge gap. There's a gap in education around what people understand and how to yep. use a protocol, and I think one of the things that's really obvious to me now after the same struggle that Shannon and Tim and Scott and Tom have done over the years of sort of trying to work with people around V6 is you don't deploy what you don't know. Right. Right? Yep. Yep. You won't turn on V6 if you don't know it. If you're not touching it day to day, if you're not using it day to day, you're not going to you're not going to operationalize right. it. And so for me, I look at it and I say it's really interesting the transition for what the rest of the internet is doing with the content providers, the cloud providers, and the mobile providers all getting V6 adopted and working and we've got this bubble of sort of commercial and enterprise folks who don't know it or don't want to touch it, at what point does this conflict become too great and we need to really start working on educating our enterprise and commercial customers that this is something you need to use 
And that falls into the next thing, which is, you know, both Scott and I work for resellers. Hey, like, we need to get those folks educated. They need to know how to do this. They need to have the confidence to go out and sell product and deliver product with these six skill sets. I think that's part of the, the transition the industry needs, needs to do overall, because we've been waving the flag for a long time, you know, a bunch of us have written books and provided video content online about how to train and educate, but I think that's one of the biggest challenges we're facing today, because I think as we start crossing this hurdle, there's a lot of, there's a lot of folks who aren't going to make that jump very, very quickly, and how do we help them out? I hate to say it, but I think some of it's generational. Some really of it's generational. Really we're just going to wait for people to retire? Well, <laughs> no, I, I, no, it's true. It's actually true. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's funny, but at the same time, I, I, I can tell you uh, multiple times I've gone into enterprise environments to talk about IPv6, and I've had uh, any number of IT admins who are older say to me, well, I, I'm really trying to get out the door before I have to deploy IPv6. I, I've so heard that too. Yeah, I've heard that too. And a little part of me dies on the inside every time yeah, someone it's, says it's that. It's really painful to hear, and it's just like, look, you know, I, I, it's easier than you think. It, it just... Hex is get, not gets, that hard. That's right. Yeah. Get your hands dirty with it. You'll see that you know not only is it easy to deploy and easy to manage, it has its difficulties. As but DFS is really intimidating. But, yeah. Right. But as we you know as it's commonly said, and I think it was Lorenzo Kalidi who said it first that nobody talks about the brokenness in IPv4 when they're complaining about the supposed brokenness or difficulty of IPv6. It's oh, like that's a great point. That's a very good that, point. You know, at the beginning of the podcast, said we just assume. Um, a comfort level with the ways in which we're frustrated with how IPv4 does or doesn't work, but we don't apply that same sort of, you know, uh, um, dispensation to IPv6. And so, yeah, I really think the opportunity that because it's it's the virtuous cycle of getting your hands dirty with the protocol with any any technology, the heuristic learning that goes along with that, and then becoming comfortable with it, being willing to then apply it to your other architectures, etc. If you miss out on that opportunity, because you can give all the training in the world. But as you guys have observed, you go out and you train a group of IT admins, and then you come back 18 months later, they've forgotten everything they Absolutely. They haven't touched IPv6 in the meantime, and you're right back to square one. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah. that becomes like so, a, a vicious cycle of... So, so is the product... So, and and I, we all love talking about v6 to a certain degree. Uh, yes. uh, you know, certain amount of chagrins around it. But one of the things I find really interesting is, has our industry moved past protocol discussions because we're perfectly willing as an industry to talk about cloud, to talk about containers, to talk about next generation security, NFE, software defined, all these things that everyone's willing to jump on board and adopt and overlays, learn. Overlays, underlays, underlays. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing that's yeah. all new again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and is is V6 lost in the in the in in the trampling oh, of it's chasing just not, new stuff? It's just not sexy. Right? It's not it's sexy, not, but it's, it's core, not, right? It's, it's core. everyone is looking for the end game and not. The, the transport, the design, and all the architectural layers underneath that sexy tier, right? It's, it's all of those things, like a protocol, that they're like, I don't want to really deal with that. I just want two points in the network in which I can create encapsulation if I need to, right. and then something's going to come out the end of those two points, right? And, and I think that's really a, a lot of the challenge that we're facing with V6. It's just people just don't want to deal with that layer of the network. Yep. So what's right? wrong with us that we find it so sexy? Yeah, well, we, <laughs> yeah, we definitely have issues. The fact, that we can, <laughs> the fact that we can spell things in hexadecimal, Tom. Right, <laughs> right. You know, I, yes. I, I was going to kind of shift on you a little bit and say, there actually is an impetus that the enterprise is not paying attention to, and that is IoT. And I'm not talking about consumer grade 
baby monitors and cameras. I'm talking about industrial grade IoT. And if you look at the alignment of industrial grade IoT in the IETF, it sits pretty much predominantly under the six low pan working group. And the implication there is that these folks who are developing these sensors and monitoring systems, take BC Hydro for example, they have over two million sensors on IPv6. Because when you deploy at a field area network like that, you need a robust and scalable protocol that can get you into the millions. And I think IT is missing that boat, yeah. and that boat is the opportunity to lead internet technology with their operations group. What I see coming down the pipe is that you'll have these vendors coming in talking to the business about their specific solutions that are industrial IoT based, and they're going to end up buying stovepipes. And at some point, the operations folks darken the doorstep of IT and they say, we've got this solution and now I need to connect to your network. Can we have an IPv6 address? Yeah, right. the problem is going to be, it's going to be a patchwork quilt of these v4 domains yep. where the IPv4 address is only locally significant in that walled garden. So an enterprise needs a massive amount of IP address space to deploy an IoT system. They may not have IPv6, so they punt. They deploy it in IPv4 with 10 net address space, yep. and it's a walled garden. Then they go to deploy into the cloud. And they're like, oh, well, I can't connect my, I can't do hybrid because I have 10 net address yep. space inside my corporation. I want to use 10 net address space up in my cloud infrastructure. Okay, NAT, walled garden. Oh, I want to deploy this other thing in my data center and I really need a lot of addresses because I want to do a bunch of virtualization and segmentation and, and enclaves containers. and <laughs> containers. Oh, more NAT. Okay, so you end up with these pockets and it really doesn't you know, release all the benefits to the business. So when the business is trying to chase sexy, yeah. They failed to put in this global addressing protocol. Hey, the Ferrari looks awesome, but driving it in the snow in the yeah. mountains on a dirt road, not so great. <laughs> Without great. any guardrails. Yeah, no guardrails. Yeah. Yeah. Us Colorado boys know all about that. <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, seriously, like you, you got this great, fast, sexy engine that you want to have as technology, but you're, you, you didn't bother putting down great yeah. road and infrastructure. Yeah, yeah you got a big engine, but That's you forgot the... brakes and good suspension <laughs> in the car. Well, sometimes yeah. that works. The Darwin takes care of that one. But <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the, back to one of the points you were making earlier, Ed, was about, uh, that I don't think we uh, answered, is you know, the idea that it's a lot of things that aren't technically related that are hanging us up in the V6 world, right? And, and I've said for years in presentations, I'm like, IPv6 from a technology is the least of your concern in deploying it. <laughs> it is all of the soft elements, yep. um, the politics, the BU structures, um, getting agreement on the timeline, all of those soft things, the, you know, the, the, the ability to agree upon a common tool set that you would use to assess the network and then go in and implement the network and then train your staff on how to operate the network. Um, so it's always been you know, a situation where the technology is not that hard to implement and I've heard this directly from customers. We have spanned this across you know, a thousand sites and multiple data centers, and the technology was not our problem. It was our ability to either work with a partner 
um, who was educated enough to create a design along with us and then help us implement it and then hand that over to an operations team that was also equally trained. Yes. Um, so I think what you were talking about earlier is that's probably the one of the worst gaps that we have in seeing real, real successful adoption in the enterprise space yeah. is that many of our enterprises work through a partner who are unqualified mm -hmm. and they're they want to be qualified in doing yeah, it because absolutely. they're getting they they see the opportunity for one and two their customers are asking them for it but they don't really know where to begin right. they don't really understand okay do we just take a, a a single practice make it there where we can go and help them with their routing design well, or collaboration as we talked only, about before right. it's yeah. not the routing design you got to yeah. focus on <laughs> it's the end to end experience for all of your application services and users and if you do not have that ability to be trained by your uh, partner or the services that they can walk in and offer you you're never going to go anywhere and i yeah. know firsthand yep. customers that have engaged in a partner they got a little bit down the road to your point they were trained come back to them 24 months later books on the shelf never been open we've never made any yeah. progress so that's that's a huge yeah. issue routing and addressing go hand in hand yeah and if and if you're not trained or have much experience in setting up an addressing plan you might do it multiple times you'd rather do it once and do it right from the beginning and Tom wrote the book on IPv6 address <laughs> planning for yeah. O'Reilly and associates. So, yeah, so Shannon's point exactly. There, there's the, the, the biggest, in, in my opinion, from the keyhole that I look at IPv6 through related to address planning, the psychology of un, an, basically an unlimited resource, right? That hasn't sunk in, and it, and, and if you don't work with v6 long enough to, to make that to have that realization that that aha moment where you're like I have an unlimited resource that I can use for my network design and architecture um, that's a that's a powerfully profound thing to experience and to to empower your ability to build and, and what other resource in our industry right can you say that, that. you can't, you can't. Yeah. infinite supply yeah. it's so right. difficult to convince Otherwise, super Late. intelligent, super numerate, super scientific <laughs> IT engineers and architects, that it truly is an inexhaustible resource. They refuse to believe it and, until they actually start to work with it long enough to have that well, realization. Maybe it's and not it going to be. to me. I mean, to be totally honest, you know, I did my first address plan multiple times because I wasn't willing to accept that it was not only okay and natural to put a slash 64 on a point to point link, it's just in the back of my mind. There was this idea that you know I'm still in IPv4 land. I'm yeah. going to run out if I don't do this correctly and I don't subnet correctly. I'm going to run out of this resource. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think there's actually a business use case here because now we've seen v4 addresses actually climb in terms of real cost of business. Right? I mean, yeah, they're absolutely. between what 15 and 20 dollars a piece. It's Depending not on how trivial. Big of a block I you're talked buying, to yeah. a service provider this morning and he was telling me about 750 thousand they spent for a slash 16. Wow. 750 thousand. Now that's, that's actually buys a pretty a good rate. That's a pretty good actually. rate. Yeah, but that buys but a still, lot still of deployment money. for V6. Yeah, yeah. That's right. a lot of money. Yeah. When, when right. you can get V6 for effectively free, yeah. right. thousand like, bucks you could get yeah. that. Thousand bucks, yeah. you, and, and you get, get way more space supply. than yeah. what you would you pay right. for with yeah. the slash 16. So I mean, it, I find it amazing that companies are still willing to do that. I'm surprised the business teams are letting these operational people get away with that. Think of the IPv6 operational expertise that an organization can build up with a $750,000 That's Absolutely. exactly where I yep. was going. And to your point, Tom, that these people who just, when, when we tell them that it is inexhaustible, they throw Bill Gates in our face, <laughs> 
And I say, poorly math. Oh, that here is it comes. the answer <laughs> to the We solution. knew it was coming. You we knew the Horley math the Horley math discussion. And, and for those who aren't familiar with the Horley math, it's, it's pretty straightforward. The standard land size is slash 64. And that gives us 18.5 quintillion possibilities. That's a big number. Land interface. Land interface, one land. Just one land in IPv6, right? And if we were to try to exhaust that space from 001 all the way to FFFF, we would have to start with a big number, 10 million per second, every second, every minute, every day. For a calendar year, we come up to 31 million seconds per year, 31,536,000 times 10 million per second, we're at 315 trillion. Now, for those of you who are keeping score out there, the number of years at 315 trillion allocations would be roughly 58,494. That's how long it would take us to exhaust one LAN in IPv6. People need to understand <laughs> well, this. There's a Horley mathematician number. I like how you said approximately. I want to know how many people have a data center around for 58,000 years. That's right, absolutely. One LAN. One LAN. So I think it's, I felt like it was relevant to sort of go through that sort of map. We did this for, we did this for your, so for folks that don't know, Tim gives an absolutely awesome and, and pretty spectacular eight hour tectorial V6 deep dive session. And we came up, we tried to come up with some fun things to do in the session, and yeah. this was one of them. How, how are you really thinking about, can we break your V4 thinking and mentality and give you something that's like so big a number, but something relatable still? Like I ask everyone in the room, like is your data center going to be here in a thousand years? Do you plan your data center for a thousand years? No. Well, most yeah. people are like 100 years, it'd be like crazy yeah, if our data center right. was still here. So talking about it in a relatable way that way brings it home to Tom's point about this is an inexhaustible resource. You can yeah. burn 10 million addresses a second using containers, mm -hmm. never reuse them again. These yeah. are fully disposed of, That's they're right. gone. That's right. Never reuse a single address again. Just burn through it. 58,000 years is going to take you to. And there's no cop. There's no one yep. that's going to come in and take your addresses away, or there's yep. no one, or more importantly, there's no one at the outset, if you tell them what your network looks like and the plan that you want to design for, they're going to give you the resources that you say that you need, yep. whatever the size of that yep. allocation is. Yep. And enterprises, I think, don't mm -hmm. have that recognition because they're not used to working with rears to yep. get allocations yep. typically, unless they're very large. Yeah. But they, they need to have that experience of going to a rear, saying, here's my design, and the rear gives them you know, slash 32, mm -hmm. potentially, and they pay, what, 800 bucks for it, 1,000 yep. bucks for yeah. it? And yeah, done. They've got the IP space that they need for literally the life of the organization. If they need more, they can go back and get more. Yeah. It's, it's, it's trivial. I, I'd I, encourage our, our listeners to, to tune in and watch the replay and look at the slides from uh, Monday morning's session on Beyond Dual Stack uh, that was taught by Mark Townsley and my co-author Eric Vink. Who, uh, where they talk about the address space and they put some other Horley math kind of example <laughs> on it. It's visual and they show kind of, you know, the, the earth and the planet disappearing right. as you fly out into space. It's, it's pretty cool, but it also resets our expectations about the enormity of the IPv6 global address space. I, I think for the listeners, the, the key thing here on that point is we really are not going to run out. And we can show you mathematically how we're not going to run out. As Ed says, 58,000 years is a long time to plan for a network. Yeah. And to Tom's point, when it comes to address planning, the listener needs to understand that a site is given a slash 48, the smallest piece of material that's allowed in the DFZ. 
A slash 48 gives you 65,000 slash 64 prefixes or lands yeah. in, in this space. We don't care about the host count. Most organizations at a site don't have 65,000 devices. So back to another fun topic of ours. Mm -hmm. Why not give a single 64 to every device? We have yeah. 65,000 of them at each site. That's what the mobile operators do, actually. Yes. They're allocating a slash 64 to each mobile device because there's things inside of the phone. It runs software containers. It does all these things inside of the phone. So give it the amount of address space it needs to do whatever future you know, design, plan. Let's not be constrained. Right. You, you know, could give it, you need a you larger block, allocate a larger block. Yeah, or, or give an address per application, give an address per transaction. So this is one of the things that's interesting. Like we could go into a payment yeah. system and give an address yeah. per transaction and yeah. be like, never repeat using that address again. Absolutely. There's some interesting use cases you could do, for sure. Yeah, addresses yeah. could be ephemeral. They could, they could come and go. They could be totally wiped out and rebuilt. And when we're moving to a software-defined world, uh, you know, and infrastructure is code, it's easy to do these things where well, they come and go and disappear and get reused. And I think this is, this is a unique opportunity too for the enterprise. Think about how many, when you're logging data and you have compliance requirements for logging information, going through map boundaries and everything else, and trying to stitch that flow together end to end, your responsibility as an owner to be able to report what happens there. With V6, you don't have to do that. You just have to log off the two endpoint devices, you're done. Everything else, you have to log every transaction location because you need to know if it went through a NAP boundary, how it's stitched together application-wise. You just don't have to worry about that. You're unique globally with that address. You don't have to route it globally. That's the one thing that a mm -hmm. lot of people get confused about in V6, right? You don't have to route every address that you That's have right. globally. Because you have a routable address doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that it is routable. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. That's so. a true point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you bring up this interesting idea about uh, traffic steering and uh, you know service chaining. Yes. And uh, IPv6 has some interesting properties in terms of headers yep. and this uh, segment routing header and uh, how that works. Maybe you guys could go over a little bit about that. I know it's difficult for the listener not having a whiteboard here and <laughs> yeah, not being able to that, see the yeah, pictures. That, that's that's Frank that's a, tough, but, but just the idea, a tough picture to draw, yeah. But just the idea is that IPv6, because of the uniqueness of its, of its header structure and its addressing space, lends itself to some, some, some new innovation. Ways. We're going to leave it yeah, there. Some, some new innovations. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely look up. Uh, you know, as a listener, just do a search on segment routing or SRV6, and that, and you will see an immense amount of one very, very awesome use cases for segment routing. There's a, a wide variety of things. Mark Townsley and several other people, um, you know, within the industry and within Cisco are working in that space. So it's it's a, an area that people should go and, and research that. And Cisco's really a champion in that space and really championing those designs and involved in the, the standards committees about yeah. how this is done yeah. and how it can be used and creating those yeah. use cases. So yeah, definitely for the listener, maybe after Cisco Live when you have a well, a Mark, nice quiet Mark, moment to Mark sit is down here. He's actually sitting outside yeah, looking yeah, at yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and if, you, if you're interested, he's doing a bunch of work on the HomeNet group also mm -hmm. for right. some right. really good stuff uh, in that area. So, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of great IPv6. Uh, if you're interested or curious in IPv6, there's a lot of great training information you can get here at Cisco Live or even afterwards. Uh, you can watch the replays or check out the the presentations. Tim, uh, Tim has some good video content up that's available. Yeah, absolutely. Really Certainly, uh, you know, there's classes like Hitchhiker's Guide to IPv6. There's uh, there's a lab CCIE session. If you're gonna get your CCIE and you're going for the lab, you better know IPv6. Yes, and there's a good there's a good lab session on IPv6 to help you level up and prepare for the lab. 
Uh, Tim and Shannon, what are some of the other IPv6 sessions here at Cisco Live our listeners may want to check I don't know. out? I think Tim knows the, the full list better than so, I do. So this afternoon, I'm, I'm actually doing a, a new concept here at Cisco Live. It's called a flip session, mm -hmm. and this is where we ask the attendees to watch one of the recorded sessions. And, and by the way, there's a big hint, folks. There's recorded sessions. So Cisco Live records all, almost every session that is given at a, at a given venue. And in this flip session model, the idea is that you watch a recording from the year prior, and then you come in for one hour, and we have a discussion uh, very much like uh, the university model of, of the new era, where the student is expected to, to do the video on their own time, and then come prepared to have a deeper discussion. Mm -hmm. So I'll get back to you how this works, because it's the first time we've done yeah, this. Yeah, cool. it's a, when I heard they were going to do it, I thought it was an awesome idea that yeah. people could just go to, you know, to the Cisco Live website, hit the session catalog, do a search for IPv6, go find uh, you know, the session that they want to go check out, and then you know, watch it, and then come in and, and you know, have an actual deep discussion with Tim about mm -hmm. what items, you know, are you confused about, or, or you know, where do we need to take you know the content the next time? And, and so it's a, it's going to be an interesting uh, yeah. way, way of delivering that to the audience. What's the name and the and the number of that course so people know where to find it? So today it would be uh, flip, F L P R S T dash two one one six. I don't know that that'll be recorded though. However, the Breakout for that BRKRST-2116 is, in, in fact, the IPv6 protocol talk that I delivered last year in, in Las Vegas. And, and you, got, you got distinguished speaker for that, right? All <laughs> right, Tim. Thank you, Ed, I did, yes. <laughs> yes Tim and Shannon are both, both, both Hall of Fame, distinguished, of fame speakers, distinguished speakers, so honored to have you here. That's a great, yeah. great achievement for both of you. That's, an, uh, I guess, testament to how great a presentation you give. And, uh, That's great. If you're going to talk to people about IPv6, you know, you're going to get more uh, bees with honey than you will with yeah. vinegar. So being a good, <laughs> yeah, you right. need to be a good presenter to get people excited about IPv6. Yeah, because <laughs> if you didn't like IPv6 Six. and you deliver that talk, the audience will murder you, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Tim and I are so passionate about it, it, it that it, it flows right into the audience. You're selling that comes, to Eskimos and you guys are awesome. About it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so it comes across to the audience how passionate you guys are about IPv6 and, and how knowledgeable you are, and particularly, you know, your nice fluid. Uh, you break down really complicated subjects and make them very easy to understand, and that's and a, a great trait. But so. for folks listening, the pa their patience is running out, and at some point the beatings will commence. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> right. Absolutely. Punch, punch Wally in the face, right? right at the end of the movie. <laughs> yes. where punch him, punch right. him, punches him right <laughs> in the right. nose. Wally moves right in the nose. Gets the gun and captures John Candy and takes <laughs> him on a ride on the roller coaster. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking we've come full circle. We really yeah. <laughs> Yes. And, and fortunately for the listener, there are other folks here at Cisco Live delivering IPv6 talks besides just Shannon and myself. Yeah. Uh, Scott, you mentioned uh, Mark Townsley and Eric Vinke and their, mm -hmm. their talks. Uh, Jim Bailey gave an address planning talk yesterday. Uh, Nicole Wager gave a enterprise design talk. Today, Rajiv Asati gives a talk on the uh, carrier grade NAT challenge, and, and it's, a, it's really interesting to see some of the steps we're making there where we can literally prove that IPv6 is a much more cost-effective solution than dumping a bunch of money into a big carrier-grade NAT 
for a large ISP or even a small ISP that's out there listening. Yeah. And next year, I'm going to try to, uh, my focus is, is uh, multi-cloud networking, uh, Kubernetes, Istio, those types of things. And um, on my team, the cloud CTO team, our, our group uh, writes most of the code for IPv6 enabling Kubernetes. Awesome. Um, and so next year, I'm going to be starting to bring IPv6 discussions to Kubernetes and Istio and containers in general and, and uh, hope to get uh, some sessions for Cisco Live next, next year to talk about that work and, and what that adoption looks like. Because I think, back, you know, going back full circle to the, uh, you know, the, the clean IPv6 native environment, um, as people move to public cloud, I think they, that public cloud becomes a great opportunity if it was supported to be that greenfield IPv6 environment. Yep. Because as they spin up you know, a new VPs, a VPC or a new VNet or whatever it is that they're doing in the public cloud, and they're implementing cloud native applications, not a legacy application, all of those things are right for you to be able to execute on a, a good cloud native strategy in addition to it running on a V6 only environment. So we, we really need to, to do as much as we can to help the, the public cloud providers allow for that type of functionality to exist. I mean, you know, there is a V6 uh, support there in the big three, but, uh, mm -hmm. but it's, it's you know, doing a V6 native only environment front to back through the entire service structure that they have is not present. So I think that that would be an awesome place for an enterprise to begin doing a V6 only environment is we can build some sort of recommendation strategy for them that says if you're going into the public cloud and you want to do this in a clean slate kind of environment, you can start with these particular public cloud services in this particular design, um, and that would be a great, great way that they wouldn't have to inherit a lot of the stuff that they're bringing in from the enterprise, or just making a clean footprint in the public side. Yeah, so that's really great uh, review of the kinds of things you're working on. So I think we're, we're kind of coming to summarize this session. I wanted to go around the table and kind of talk about uh, what each of this crew is working on, where they can find additional resources. So Shannon, uh, go ahead and continue with Bring us up to speed on you know some of the books that you've written uh, for Cisco Press, some of the things you're working on, your Twitter handle, where they can find out more about your contributions to okay, the IPv6 well, the, community. The first, the best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter at IPv6 E Y E P V6. Uh, so it's not like I love the protocol or anything, right? <laughs> um, and so that's the best way to get a hold of me. Actually, do a search for my name on GitHub as uh, another place where I'm publishing a lot of work that we're doing on. Uh, automation and that sort of thing uh, from a, a programmatic aspect and GitHub for public clouds is, mm -hmm. is probably the second best uh, uh, place to go and see my work. Um, and then, um, you know, my book has come and gone, but there was an Enterprise IPv6 Networks book from Cisco Press that was out there a few years ago, and I think uh, probably 99% of that is completely useless information now, but uh, <laughs> so I can tell that by the royalty checks are, are down around about 13 cents a year, so I think it's a, probably not a great investment in your money. But uh, I disagree, I think that's a great a, book, it's Shannon. Good. It's a, it's a awesome. good book. So uh, uh, Ed Harley, uh, yeah, tell so, us. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter, like Shannon, uh, I'm, I'm at E. Horley on Twitter. Um, I still am uh, part of the Infoblox IPv6 Center of Excellence, so I blog quite a bit there, so you can definitely follow me uh, uh, up on that one. I did write a book, uh, it, like Shannon, my royalties are equally as low. <laughs> I'm beating him by two cents. Um, <laughs> so I wrote Practical IPv6 for Windows administrators, and uh, as I mentioned on the podcast earlier, so new updates have to come out, so if you follow on the blog post, probably I'll give you some updates on the Windows stuff, but yeah, that's it for me. Okay, awesome. Uh, Tom. 
Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at IPv6Tom. Uh, I uh, wrote a book for O'Reilly Media called IPv6 Address Planning. We discussed some of the address planning topics today. I encourage listeners to check it out and learn more. Uh, I also publish blogs at the Infobox IPv6 Center of Excellence mm -hmm. with uh, Ed and Scott. Mm -hmm. And don't you have a new company you're yeah, working for? Yeah, that's right. So I uh, just started up a company called Hexabuild. Uh, it's focused on IPv6 uh, training and education, uh, channel enablement. And uh, the goal is to really advance IPv6, advance cloud, IoT, and security through IPv6. It's, uh, oh, where can they find out more about that? Hexabuild.io. Okay. Cool. And Tim? Well, you can find me on Twitter as well. My handle's a little tougher at Backcountry Skier with no vowels, that's B-C-K-C-N-T-R-Y-S-K-R. Yeah, obviously there's a passion behind that. I'm a ski mountaineer by passion and excitement in my off time. I took uh, a little bit of a deep dive on Shannon's book and turned that into an enterprise guidance with Cisco Press, a live lesson. So there's a relatively fresh content on IPv6 for Enterprise, design guidance, deployment guidance, available on Cisco Press. And if you use the code MARTIN60, you'll get a 60% discount on that. Holy sweet. sweet. That's pretty tremendous. Uh, so for me, my name is Scott Hogue, uh, at Scott Hogue, pretty easy. Uh, I wrote a book on IPv6 security. The title is IPv6 Security. Uh, it's, it's like a pattern with me being very direct. Uh, and uh, I'm involved in the Rocky Mountain IPv6 Task Force, uh, rmv6tf.org. Uh, Ed is involved in the California IPv6 Task Force, cav6tf.org. Uh, so look for more contributions from us on the Infoblocks IPv6 Center of Excellence and on Cisco Champions and yeah, so I thank you all for listening to us today talk about World IPv6 launch and IPv6 in general, and uh, thank you uh, from Cisco Live. Awesome, thank you. Here now, deploy IPv6. Yep. <laughs>